Welcome to the Unmade Podcast, looking at media and marketing from an Australian perspective. I'm Tim Burrows. Recently, I published my first book, Media Unmade. It quickly became an Amazon bestseller. It's the story of Australian media's most disruptive decade. It's published by Hardy Grant, and you can buy it at all good bookshops and online. In the coming weeks, I'll be sharing the full audio edition of the book here on the Unmade podcast. Coming up is the next chapter. Now remember, only Unmade's paying subscribers get to hear every chapter. If you haven't already, you can sign up at unmade.media. As well as supporting my work as an independent journalist, you'll receive exclusive industry analysis in both written and podcast form. And once you sign up, you'll still be able to get our paid podcasts inside the app of your choice. It only takes a couple of clicks. Now, on with the book. Chapter 14. Magazines are different. In which German publisher Bauer Media buys Australia's premier magazine company for what seems like a bargain price then watches helplessly as readers, clients, advertisers and eventually CEOs desert in droves. At the Sydney Convention and Entertainment Centre, it's Magazine Week, which is something of a hyperbolic name for a conference that will run for just one and a half days. Nonetheless, this gathering in November 2011 represents progress just like the rivalry between the People's Front of Judea and the Judean People's Front in Monty Python's Life of Brian, Australia's magazine industry is similarly divided. I'm moderating a panel including the chairman of the two industry associations, Magazine Publishers of Australia and Publishers Australia. It's the first time they've shared a stage. The NPA represents the three publishers of Australia's glossy mags, ACP magazines, Pacific magazines and news magazines. And Publishers Australia represents the rest, custom publishers, hobby magazines, independent consumer titles and business mags. Representing the NPA on stage is Nick Chan, whose day job is CEO of PacMags. His counterpart from Publishers Australia is Jeff Hurd, publisher at B2B specialist Westwick Farrow. Putting the panel together took some persuasion. Chan doesn't like public speaking. During the debate, fellow panellist Simon Davies, in charge of buying print advertising for media agency OMD, has a hard truth for them. Too many magazine brands are weak. There are not a lot of distinct magazine brands out there. There are fewer and fewer titles that you look at and go, I have to have that magazine, he tells them. Chan, who learned the craft of magazine publishing at the feet of the ferocious Kerry Packer, is almost as blunt as the big man would have been. We've done a shit job of actually branding our medium out there, haven't we? 14 months later. Half a billion dollar baby. We will never know whether things would have turned out differently 
for Australia's magazine industry if ACP magazines had ended up in the hands of a less distant owner. For decades, one statistic was a mantra among magazine executives. Based on population size, Australians bought more magazines than anyone else in the world. While nobody ever seemed to know where the statistic came from, it rang true. Kerry Packer had loved his magazines almost as much as he had his nine television network and cross-promoted them accordingly. Packer's swashbuckling style was always one of over-investing to win rather than cutting to profitability. ACP's magazines, Dolly, Clio, Woman's Day, Australian Women's Weekly and the rest, narrated how women of all ages lived their lives in Australia. Editors such as Nene King, Ita Buttrose, Deborah Thomas, Mia Friedman and Lisa Wilkinson were household names. Packer's death had seen son James sell the family's media interests to private equity firm CVC at the top of the market in 2006, with about $1.75 billion of the $5 billion valuation being attributed to the magazine division. Life in the Park Street, Sydney headquarters would begin to change significantly only after CVC sold ACP magazines in September 2012 in a bid to keep the rest of Nine Entertainment Co. out of the hands of the banks. The next owner, Bauer Media, was an old-school, privately-owned German publishing company, founded in 1875. Yvonne Bauer, newly in charge, was the fifth generation of the family to be involved in the company. We are delighted to welcome ACP as a member of the Bauer Media Group, she said in the ASX announcement. She was probably delighted at the price too. It wasn't revealed at the time, but Bauer paid $525 million, just a third of what the publishing company cost CVC six years before. ACP fits our strategy of developing the Bauer Media Group globally. We believe in print and ACP's strong brands in Australia and New Zealand are perfect platforms to expand into digital areas, Bauer continued. And Nine Entertainment Co. boss David Gingell was honest about his reason for selling. The decision to sell the magazine business is not one we have made lightly. On balance, however, the sale provides NEC with an attractive all-cash valuation and ACP with the benefits of being part of a global publisher organisation. In truth, although Avon Bauer may have had ambitions, it wasn't really yet a global company. Bauer was strong in Europe, including the UK and Germany, and had a portfolio of magazines in the US. Australia, a 24-hour trip from head office, was going to be its most distant outpost. In the announcement, ACP's CEO, Matthew Stanton, highlighted the benefits of being owned by a company that actually wanted you, rather than being the unloved sibling of a troubled TV network. Being part of the Bauer Media Group provides ACP with a positive and clear future under an owner who is focused on magazines and who will support investment and growth in our business. This outcome provides a commitment for the long term for both our brands and our people. Stanton, an accountant by background, 
didn't exactly have ink in his veins. He'd only been promoted to CEO in January that year, after the departure of Phil Scott. Before then, Stanton had spent three years as Chief Operating and Finance Officer. He'd ended up at ACP when it bought the Australian operation of magazine publisher EMAP, where he'd been financial director for a couple of years. And before that, he'd worked in the brewing industry. With the purchase of EMAP, the consumer magazine market had been reduced from four big players to three. Pacific Magazines, owned by Seven West Media, was the biggest competitor. It was run by Nick Chan, who knew the enemy well. He had spent the first 17 years of his career at ACP, eventually becoming Chief Operating Officer before leaving in 2000. The third magazine player was News Magazines, owned by News Corp. In November 2011, the company rebranded the division as News Life Media to recognise that it would be going beyond magazines into digital as the company's lifestyle publishing arm. Former Foxtel executive Nicole Sheffield became News Life Media's CEO in March 2012. Just a month after the sale, the name ACP Magazines a brand that had existed in the market for more than six decades since starting as Australian Consolidated Press, disappeared. The company rebranded as Bauer Media. Even before Bauer arrived in Australia, the magazine sector was in decline. In February 2012, the Audit Bureau of Circulations had released the worst set of data the magazine industry had seen. 33 monthly titles saw their circulations fall. Most noticeable was ACP's men's title, FHM, which had suffered a massive 48.1% drop in circulation compared with the previous year. For Newslife Media, Masterchef magazine fared worst with a 33.4% fall as the magic wore off on the TV phenomenon. Over at Pacific Magazines, Healthy living title Prevention fell 16.6%. Some of the falls could be put down to a familiar, even healthy, cycle. In previous decades, plenty of magazines had gone out of fashion and closed. In the past, they'd been replaced by new launches, tapping into whatever was fresh in the zeitgeist. But now, publishers were unlikely to take the expensive risk of launching something new. As a result, the bad news was beginning to dominate the mood music around magazine publishing. Each new set of circulation numbers showed a downward trend. As well as signalling reduced reader revenue, it had a knock-on effect for advertiser sentiment. Why advertise in a declining medium? The next set of circulation numbers for weekly magazines after the ACP sale to Bauer were just as bad as the monthlies. Women's weekly Grazia's sales were down 20.6% compared with the year before. Lads Mag Zoo Weekly was down 15.8%. Take 5 was down 9.8%. Woman's Day was down 5.9%. And Celebrity Mag NW down 3.8%. Grazia was franchised by Bauer from Italian publisher Mondadori. The attraction of a franchise model was twofold. First, 
syndicated pictures and copy could be used to supplement local content. And second, the brand was recognisable to overseas fashion houses, making advertising decisions for markets they didn't know. In return, a publisher needed to pay something like 8% of the magazine's revenues to the owner of the brand. Bauer chose Valentine's Day 2013 to give the staff of Grazia the news that the magazine was closing. It was an early sign of the carnage that was to come for the sector. Grazia had launched less than five years before. Unfortunately, despite everyone's best efforts and the ongoing commitment of the team, market dynamics are not able to sustain Grazia's weekly format, CEO Stanton said in the announcement. Bauer and Mondadori have therefore reluctantly concluded that Grazia is not commercially sustainable in this market. Fashion magazine Madison would go the same way two months later. This time, rather than a franchise model, it was published in a joint venture with US publisher Hearst. The decision to close a title is never easy, said the announcement from Stanton. But after recent and lengthy discussions with our joint venture partner, Hearst Magazines International, the conclusion was sadly drawn that for Madison to continue was no longer a commercially viable option. Bauer was the biggest player and it made the weather for the whole magazine sector. What did not help was that back in Germany, Bauer was a magazine company that made most of its money through its cover sales. In Australia, the advertising revenue was a far more important component. As a result, advertising sales strategy was not something Bauer prioritised. There was no concerted effort by the magazine sector to promote the medium to the media agencies and marketers who would decide where to place their advertising budgets. Similarly, the company was ill-equipped to sell its message to the trade press, which was in turn read by the agencies and marketers. Most of ACP's public relations team had been made redundant in 2008. Instead, in 2010, the company had moved former Australian Women's Weekly editor Deborah Thomas sideways into the grand-sounding role of general manager, media, public affairs and brand development. And her personal brand development included the side project of appearing on Nine's The Apprentice as one of Mark Boris's assistants. It became a running joke in the Mumbrella newsroom that if they called Thomas for comment on Bauer matters, she'd be too busy filming to talk. Other media were cooperating to promote themselves as an effective advertising medium. Commercial Radio Australia led the push by radio companies to promote themselves as an effective ad medium. Testimonials from the likes of Harvey Norman CEO Katie Page were rarely off the radio waves. The famously competitive outdoor industry united behind the Outdoor Media Association and used its new move currency to promote the medium. Even the TV networks finally came together to launch what would eventually become the most effective and best-funded industry body of them all, Think TV. Other than occasionally running campaigns in their own magazines, the MPA had been doing little. Why invest in funding an industry body when we can simply promote ourselves individually, the three partners in MPA seemed to think. When the rotating MPA chairmanship came Stanton's way, I interviewed him in a live video chat in November 2013. The MPA was a little bit dysfunctional, he conceded. 
while pledging to do a better job. During the interview, Stanton argued that magazines were always going to have a place. The landscape is changing constantly and the business models are changing constantly. But a lot of people say there's a transition going on. I think we've got to be careful here because there's a world where people read magazines, watch TV, listen to radio, they're on the internet, they're on the phone. This is not you're either a magazine person or a radio person. The mistake we've made from a global publishing point of view, we might have tried to do the same on the web as we do in the printed format, and I don't think that's the right way to do it. The printed format has a very strong future as a longer read versus mobile and people snacking on content. The industry tried to change the story around the declining circulation numbers, launching a brand new currency. Driven by the newspaper publishers, they wanted to persuade advertisers that the number that mattered was not how many people actually bought a copy of the magazine or newspaper, but how many people then read it. Perhaps it was left in the hairdressers, or in Zoo Weekly's case, in the dunny at the building site, so one copy could mean dozens of readers. This readership number could only be generated via a survey in which people were asked which titles they remembered reading. It was less precise than circulation data and would likely give a more impressive sounding number. There was actually already a readership as opposed to circulation metric in the market offered by Roy Morgan Research, but the publishers wanted one that offered better visibility of how the numbers were reached. RMR chairman Gary Morgan came across as arrogant whenever he was challenged about Roy's black box. But some were sceptical that a new readership metric would actually be more credible than RMR. As Pacific Magazine's boss, Nick Chan, one of the sceptics, put it, it is important that we don't confuse RMR's unique customer service approach with the quality of the system. Like the soup Nazi in Seinfeld, The service is crap, but the soup is the best. Nonetheless, the new metric, EMMA, Enhanced Media Metrics Australia, launched in August 2013 after a four-year development process funded mainly by the newspaper publishers. Bauer and News Corp were among the first to get on board. Media buyers were more cynical, with one saying... In some ways, the horse has already bolted and it doesn't matter what metric they put in place in the eyes of clients. There has been a significant shift into other media, particularly digital. You have to wonder whether those dollars will ever go back to print, no matter what new metric you put forward. Magazines are different. There were signs of the times for the magazine industry wherever one looked. Publishers Australia went into voluntary administration in September 2014. It had overstretched itself with its Magazine Week conference and was stuck with a contract to run the loss-making event again at the Sydney Hilton, which it couldn't afford. And there was also a degree of denial. Either magazine bosses didn't recognise the level of disruption the industry was facing, or they could not publicly admit it. In June 2014... The newly promoted boss of Pacific Magazines, Peter Zavek, appeared on stage at the Mumbrella 360 conference with Stanton and Sheffield. Zavek insisted that the problems of newspapers 
did not affect magazines. I think we've been unfairly lumped into a print bucket that's in decline, he said. With the press, we all know the challenges they face. It's news. If you've got channels that can deliver news faster and more conveniently for people, they're going to turn to it. Magazines are different. It's curated content. Magazines are a more engaging sort of format than newspapers. As was becoming a habit at such events, the panel also acknowledged that the magazine medium was not doing a good job at marketing itself to advertisers and agreed, as usual, that they should do a better job. The audience story, combined with our cross-platform growth and engagement, are stories we haven't effectively told to media buyers, said Zavik. It's something that we have to address moving forward. At the end of 2014, Stanton resigned from Bauer for the role of Chief Transformation Officer at Woolworths. Announcing the news to staff, Yvonne Bauer acknowledged, It hasn't been easy. In fact, it has been a tumultuous two years in which we have experienced unprecedented challenges with the global economy and digital revolution impacting on our business worldwide. Her email also contained news of who would be next at the helm. It was trusted company lifer, David Goodchild, who had been with Bauer for 21 years. Somehow, Goodchild will be expected to continue to run the company's H. Bauer Publishing division in the UK, while also leading the Australian and New Zealand operations. Regardless of Goodchild's ability, it would have been a difficult task for anybody. Those who worked with Goodchild in Australia would later describe him as somebody who was knowledgeable of traditional magazine publishing and the wrong person to lead a digital transformation. Insiders said the company's digital strategy development came to a screeching halt under Goodchild. More hurtfully, they would also let on that Goodchild was nicknamed the David Brent of Park Street after the cringeworthy manager played by Ricky Gervais in The Office. The Australian magazine industry had faced another obstacle in dealing with the growth of digital audiences. Thanks to the previous Nine connection, Nine MSN had been responsible for ACP's digital assets. Not that anyone senior within Nine MSN had been particularly interested in them. Similarly, Seven West Media's Pacific magazines had been hobbled by being part of the Yahoo 7 arrangement. This meant that a lot of digital knowledge was missing from the magazine company's advertising sales teams, who had had no opportunity to grow their understanding of the emerging medium. Bauer took control of its digital sales only in January 2015, while Seven West Media did not cut loose and sell its stake in Yahoo 7 back to Yahoo until 2018. In most media companies around the world, print and digital teams were being brought together as publishers recognised that consumers thought of mastheads as one brand, regardless of their format. Bauer did the opposite. New publishing unit Bauer Excel would manage its digital properties. At the masthead level, it meant there was no single publishing champion for the brand, or indeed anyone thinking about how the brand would thrive in a world beyond print. Instead, the company launched a To Love digital network 
which would aggregate content from across its mastheads. The Now To Love website would draw content from the Australian Women's Weekly, Woman's Day, NW, OK, Take 5, TV Week, Yours, Good Health, Mother and Baby, and Shop Till You Drop. Homes To Love would contain content from Australian House and Garden, Bell, Homes Plus, and Real Living. Food To Love would contain recipes and other food content. This decision would risk leaving individual magazine mastheads with no brand of their own in cyberspace. At this stage, Bauer was still ready to invest and put money into its digital teams. It also looked at a number of opportunities to grow by acquisition and got close to buying Lachlan Murdoch's Nova Entertainment, which would have complemented Bauer's radio holdings in Europe. Bauer was also in the running for several of the online publishers, but reluctant to pay the high multiples the likes of Junkie Media and Pedestrian Group were selling for. The company did make one acquisition, buying Beauty Heaven. Bauer was losing key people. Among the rainmakers was Jerry Reynolds, who ran Bauer's custom magazine publishing operation, which was the biggest in the country. He quit in early 2013 and launched his own agency, Medium Rare, in July, with financial backing from News Corp. Colleagues would follow Reynolds out the door, including Bauer's custom media publisher, Sally Wright. Even more painfully for Bauer, its biggest custom clients would follow Reynolds over to Medium Rare. First, Bauer lost Coles magazine to Medium Rare, then the Qantas in-flight magazine, and months later, Foxtel magazine went to Medium Rare too. Given the News Corp connection between Foxtel and Medium Rare, that one might have been predictable, but it was still a blow for Bauer's fading custom publishing division. And the momentum continued for Medium Rare, with custom publishing of a magazine for upmarket department store David Jones, its next win. In October 2015, Bauer belatedly responded to the growing content marketing bubble, rebranding what remained of its custom publishing division as Bauerworks, headed by Executive General Manager Niall Murphy. But the division would not be operating in the same way as the biggest name in the space, King Content, Murphy told Mumbrella. A lot of PR agencies, creative agencies, and even the likes of King Content are probably more short-term orientated, not to be disparaging, Creative agencies are focused on the campaign. PR agencies tend to be talent-led in terms of their approach, while we tend to be audience and content-led in terms of what we're trying to do. Although individual sales reps would do their best, Bauer receded from the view of the advertising decision-makers. In a sentiment-driven next-new-thing market, out-of-sight means out-of-mind. New to Australia, CEO Goodchild was almost invisible to the advertising market. That put Bauer at a commercial disadvantage to media companies whose CEOs viewed pressing the flesh with media agency bosses and big marketers as a key part of the job. Data company Standard Media Index estimated that media agency spending on advertising with Bauer fell from just over $180 million in 2008 to just over $57 million in 2015. 
September 2015 saw Director of Sales Tony Kendall depart after less than three years with the company. The magazine closures picked up pace under Goodchild. Top Gear magazine closed in August 2015. The same month Bauer sold its three motorbike titles to independent publisher Citrus Media. Zoo Weekly went in September after a staggered demise. First, its website was retired, then relaunched, then Zoo was pulled out of the audit after sales collapsed by 36% to just 24,122 copies per edition. As a final straw, Coles stopped stocking the title on its shelves over complaints from campaigners that Zoo's sexualised covers were out of place in its stores. Word reached head office that things were not working out with their man. In December 2015, Goodchild was sent home to Europe after just a year. It was a sudden enough decision that Bauer needed to send out another executive as caretaker. Andreas Schu flew in as interim CEO with a brief to hire somebody who actually understood the local market to run the company. While he conducted his candidate search, Shu had several fires to fight. As soon as he arrived in January 2016, the company closed one of its most famous local titles, Clio. The magazine was part of the Kerry Packer mythology. It had been launched by Ita Buttrose 44 years earlier and became famous for its boundary-pushing content, including sex advice for its young female audience and the country's first male centrefold. In 2012, the ABC had turned the story of Clio into docudrama Paper Giants, The Birth of Clio. Circulation had fallen since its glory days. Between 2008 and 2015, Clio dropped from selling nearly 150,000 copies to just 42,000. Bauer made a hash of the communications, with news of Clio's closure leaking to the press before staff and advertisers could be told. On his first day in the country, Shu confirmed the axing. It is never an easy decision to close a magazine, and we have certainly considered all the options before coming to this conclusion. However, in its current format, Clio was no longer commercially sustainable for the longer term. The same announcement also saw big changes for Dolly, the monthly title which had been a friend to generations of teenage girls. The decline in magazine sales was worst among young audiences who would never develop print-buying habits. Dolly's sales had fallen from more than 140,000 in 2009 to just 40,000 in 2015. But at least it wouldn't be closed quite yet. The title would now only appear every other month, Shu announced. Shu would also find a resignation letter in his intray from the editor-in-chief of Australian Women's Weekly, Helen McCabe. The talented editor had mostly kept the forces of disruption at bay during her six years at the helm by bringing a newsier, more agenda-setting edge to the state title. The sales of 493,000 she had inherited in 2009 were still a respectable 416,000 when she departed in January 2015. It had no doubt helped that Women's Weekly's audience was in an older demographic that was still buying magazines, 
but it was nonetheless an impressive achievement. Another departure under Shoe in June 2016 was Niall Murphy, only a few months after leading the relaunch of the custom publishing arm into Bauer Works. He was replaced by Director of Operations Eugene Vericchio. For the CEOs, reporting lines to Germany also kept changing as the management's long-term servants of Yvonne Bauer's father, Heinz, began to move on for her to make her own appointments. In July 2016, Nick Chan became Bauer's fourth CEO in 18 months. He was the obvious candidate, thanks not just to the 17 years he'd spent at the company earlier in his career, but also to the subsequent decade he spent running Pacific magazines. It would prove to be fortuitous timing for Chan to be out of Seven West Media before the affair between his executive assistant Amber Harrison and CEO Tim Warner became a scandal. If staff were not already sensing an existential threat, then an update from Chan six months into his return focused their minds. Every magazine would undergo a viability audit. Chan's axe quickly fell on Dolly after its change of frequency failed to help sales. On the venerable Rugby League Week and on fashion title Shop Till You Drop. As the company tried to work out what audiences wanted away from magazines, it made a brief pivot to video, as many publishers did, in part lured by the promise of big viewing numbers on Facebook. Years later, Facebook would admit that it had been falsely inflating viewing metrics by up to 80%. Dallas Baird was brought in as head of video to create a strategy across Bauer's digital properties, shooting video in studio and at magazine events. In July 2016, Christian Frick was sent out from Bauer in Germany to run Bauer XL. He killed off the video strategy just two months later, making Baird redundant. Frick also made head of product Anna Almeida and audience management director and corporate counsel Sala Fernando redundant. It was time to shoot the messenger. The audited circulation numbers, released quarterly for weekly magazines and twice a year for the monthlies, had become a constant reminder of the decline of all of Australia's print publishers. And the launch of the Emma readership metric had not gone as well as hoped. Trade press coverage was still drawn mainly to the more interesting story of magazine's slow death, as revealed in each new set of circulation numbers. Emma's readership estimates were sometimes hard to believe. The point of circulation audits was to prove to advertisers and media agencies that the number of magazines being claimed by the publisher really were being printed. But if advertisers were no longer choosing to spend with magazines anyway, why give the voyeurs a front row view of the funeral? But it was a three-way prisoner's dilemma. If one publisher stopped sharing their numbers, it would give the other two a commercial advantage. From where I sat, what followed looked like a coordinated hit. The move was timed for the end of 2016, when agencies and advertisers were busy with wrapping up the year. Bauer took the first shot, putting out his announcement on Thursday the 15th of December. It was resigning from the Audited Media Association of Australia. 
Chan was leaving the soup Nazi behind. Bauer was now signing up for Emma's estimated readership numbers instead. Circulation audits do not properly represent how consumers are interacting with our brands across different platforms, nor do they reflect the integrated media discussions we are having with our advertising clients, he said in the announcement. The following Monday, News Corp's News Life Media followed suit, also resigning from the audit. News Corp had always been the biggest champion of Emma. Its magazines that would no longer be audited included Taste, Delicious and Donna Hay. In the announcement, there was a similar rationale from boss Nicole Sheffield to the Barrow announcement. Magazine brands today are consumed across many platforms, including print, digital, social and events. And two days on from that, PacMags took the third shot. Jared Roberts had just taken over as CEO after the departure of Peter Zavik to News Corp. The language was similar to the other two. The circulation metric is no longer representative of our multifaceted audiences or our multifaceted offering, and given the withdrawal of the other major publishers, is no longer representative of our industry. In the space of six days, the three big publishers had killed off magazine circulation audits. Contemplating the time that decision-making usually takes in such big organisations, I struggled to believe all three had independently reached the same conclusion. I was surprised the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission did not ask any tough questions about whether there had been collusion to reduce transparency in the advertising market. Nick Chan was not at Bauer for long, but his tenure was eventful. One of the most expensive moments came when actress Rebel Wilson successfully sued Woman's Day, Bauer's trashy celebrity weekly, for defamation. In an article published during David Goodchild's regime, the magazine had wrongly claimed that Wilson lied about her age and upbringing. The judge awarded Wilson a record-breaking, eye-watering $4.5 million in damages, which would be reduced to $600,000 plus costs on appeal. Woman's Day would later set another precedent. Industry watchdog, the Australian Press Council, would look at a complaint about another story in the magazine, this one a fiction complaining that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were getting divorced. The APC ruled that readers of gossip magazines don't expect the stories they read to be true. The council acknowledges that celebrity and gossip magazines are purchased for light entertainment, with readers not necessarily assuming that everything presented is factual. Accordingly, some latitude is given for factual exaggeration and inaccuracies in publications of this kind. Soon after the Rebel Wilson court case, Chan left the company and was replaced by Bauer New Zealand CEO Paul Dykesel. The June 2017 press release contained the usual banalities. But in truth, Chan had fallen out with the Bauer family, who would not take his advice on the investment needed to turn around the troubled publisher. Or, as he put it to Mumbrella, we had differences in strategic priorities for the business. Chan's exit was an eye-opening moment for the industry. Nobody doubted 
his qualification as the best placed person to fix the company. If he was going to exit so abruptly, then what hope was there for his successor? That was the latest chapter of my narration of my book, Media Unmade. You can buy the book online and at all good bookstores. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to hear all future chapters, you'll need to be a paying subscriber of Unmade. You can sign up at unmade.media. That's the URL, simply unmade.media. Once you do, it only takes a couple of clicks to add the paid-for feed to the podcast app of your choice. The book was written and recorded in northwest Tasmania on the land of the Palawa people. This podcast is produced with the enthusiastic help of Abe's Audio. For voiceovers and audio production, from corporate to commercial, go to abesaudio.com.au. I'll be back with the next chapter soon. Toodle pip.